This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai. Helen Farmer with you for Eye on Education. We're having a special look at those early years. Why are they called the foundation years? The crucial role they play, what to do to foster more independence in the classroom and at home as well. And what to do if your child says those dreaded words, I don't want to go to school today. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai. We are talking early years education in an hour's time. Right here, right now, we've got the expert in the studio. We have got Lisa Charrington-Boyd, a.k.a. Principal Lisa, a.k.a. the potty training queen, and predictably already messages coming in about all things toilet. Um, But we can help with all sorts of issues. We'd love a chat with you. Pick up the phone, 04871 Principal Lisa, what's been keeping you busy over the Christmas holidays? Did you get a holiday? Oh, well, it did. And then not like everybody in Dubai, I then got that flu COVID oh, thing. No. Yeah, but I'm back. And oh, my goodness me, I'm so busy. I've seen three families already today. What are the, what are the common issues that are coming up? So I think families over Christmas, you know, that, that holiday break, maybe the things that they were thinking should be dealt with have really risen to the surface. Such as? Well, eating. Uh-huh. So eating struggles with toilet learning is always a theme but actually today has mostly been around behavior and and food okay so a couple of nights ago i posted a story um i'll tell you why because my kids were sitting down being useful they were chopping some veggies for me and my husband's dinner and i was like it would be a total lie for me to say that my kids were top and tailing green beans to eat, eat them themselves they absolutely would not but touching them felt like progress to be truthful and i had a number of messages from really distressed sounding mums saying we are at our absolute wits end with picky eating. And, you know, one had a kid who was on medication to help him gain some weight. Another thinking about going to a doctor to see if there's a nutritional problem here. Is it behavioural? Is it sensory? And I think the phrase picky eating, it sounds really kind of light and it's not it's such a, a dominating thing in so many families that causes a huge amount of stress and distress what are you hearing from families right now and how are you helping them lisa i, I need to come back on and do a whole show on we this do. topic because it's really important that we address it so the nhs um in the UK, so National Health Service, they do describe it as as picky eating. So it is a term that that we know. Um, and we know that, say, a third of toddlers, you know, could be described as picky eating. However, there is a next level to this is that, you know, it could be leading into, you know, a feeding disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of my due diligence when I'm working with a family is I'm making sure that some of some things have been crossed off. So the family I was just literally said goodbye to, jumped in the car to come and talk to you. You know, part of their plan that they've got over the next few days is to have that visit with the paediatrician um, and also to see, um, you know, a paediatric dentist. Mm-hmm. There's a few little red flags there. So we need to make sure that we're not masking something else that needs to be dealt with. So my job is, is to see what's going on and see if I can make a shift and change in all of the other areas 
that they can control. And then if we can't fix it, then we need to take the next step. But it isn't something that just goes away. And it really brings family to their knees. It it does. I mean, I don't mind saying before Christmas, like I was crying at the dinner table. My six-year-old was crying. My husband was stressed. Do you know what? My older kid said something, and I'd love to get your take on it, which I thought was a really wise thing. And I'm not... I'm not going to lie. She started talking and I was like, Phoebe, this has got nothing to do with you. You know, mm. please just, you know, stay out of it. Again, this is be like being proper, honest mum. Like, yeah, I, I was like, I, I, you know, this is... This We're here for you, Helen. Thank it's you, love. Right. Thank you. Um, but what she said to her little sister was, do you remember when Penelope joined your class and she was a new kid and nobody knew her and you've become friends with her and now you really like her? She was like, trying new food is like that. Oh, I love that. I know. I'm stealing it. It's not, and I was like, God, that's actually... I was like, I'm really sorry for telling you to shut up because that's actually really smart. She said, yeah. you didn't know if you were going to like her, but you got to know her and now, and now you're friends. She was like, trying new food. It's like that. And I was like, all right, can you write a book, please? Yeah. Um, but it is really, really emotional because you spend money, for one thing. You spend time cooking. And then to have the food refused, often in quite an aggressive mouth slam shut no way mm. and then you're like well now what do I do I don't want to send my kid to bed hungry nor do I want to be doing this message of if you don't eat it then I'm going to make you some cheese on toast it's really really hard to know what to do okay so should we, should we talk about that should okay. we go for it okay, okay. Oh, all right okay. so we've just had I've just had a very similar conversation with this family and what we had was is that the little one was getting down from the high chair, you know, after about kind of three bites and then running around and dear nanny is chasing and trying everything. I mean, I was watching on camera the cajoling, the begging, the playing, anything to get this little one to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the way that I work this with families is, we'll say is that, is that when you leave the table, that is the end of... That is the end of the meal. And so you start that precedence with them where you say, hey, it looks like you've just pushed your food away. It looks like you might be finished now. Oh, okay. So did you touch your tongue? Did you see if it feels full? Oh, okay. So you, you, you really know your body. You know when you're full. Well done. I like that. Let's go and put your plate in the dishwasher. But just to let you know that the next meal we're going to be having is at six o'clock. And I tell you what we'll do. We'll light the candles and have a lovely family meal. Won't that be nice? end Mm -hmm. okay now here comes the challenging part you know that maybe she didn't quite eat enough and in half an hour it's going to be mummy i'm hungry right so the very first time that happens you say okay lovely well it sounds like you're telling me that you feel hungry that's really good you're listening to your body but do you remember at the table we said that the next meal would be the sparkle dinner time we're planning um you know and that is when the next meal is and i know that you're learning because we're doing things a bit different so Today, you can choose this snack or that snack, okay? But tomorrow when that happens, the kitchen will be closed and I'll see you, you know, at six o'clock. I know it's going to be hard, but that's what we're going to do. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being on board. Turn around, do something else. Mm -hmm. Set that limit, set that boundary. And we do need, there's a difference between children that come to the table who aren't hungry and children that are. We need a bit of hunger in there with children and constant snacking. They never get hungry. Principal Lisa with us today, laying down the truth. Another one laying down the truth. Patrick on the text line saying, back in the day you ate what was put on the table and that was it. And we're more or less okay. 
I don't think my mum took any nonsense at all. So actually, that is nonsense. That is rubbish. My brother ate nothing but sausages and baby bells for an entire year. <laughs> Nothing. You, yeah, that sounds. I once worked with a child that would only eat um, turkey Twizzlers. You know, Bernard <laughs> turkey Pro- Twizzlers. Probably an Olympian now. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, I wanted to ask you about the. Why does it matter if our kids have got a really limited diet? And I'm thinking, obviously, with going back to school, what impact does it have on behaviour, on concentration, learning, things like that, Lisa? I think the first thing I want to say is is that it matters most what children eat over the course of a week rather than what they eat in a pocket of time. Um, And I would encourage parents not to get too caught up in what they eat at school because actually it's really only kind of a third of their day and they're at home, you know, eating the rest of the time. But of course we know from a nutritional point of view is that having a balanced diet is important. And in fact, it's very interesting that statistics in pecky eating has gone up Um, But um, parents' knowledge around nutrition has gone up. Mm -hmm. So actually knowing how much your child should eat and what they should eat actually hasn't impacted it. So it's like we know what they should eat, but somehow that's not happening. Disconnect. Yeah, there's a a great book. It's called um, It's Not About the Broccoli, which really makes that point that it isn't really about the broccoli. It's about how your child eats, when and where, Mm -hmm. rather than the specifics. We've had a number of messages and a lot of them talking about this two-year-old age kind of turn which is what changed for us our, our youngest was a great eater until she was two and then it all fell apart and I think that's sometimes a way of kids asserting themselves letting their preferences be known striking out a little bit and it doesn't make it any easier so we're going to get the text line message here saying Lisa is very polite in my house if they say they don't want to eat or they don't like the food mama cooks I say okay fine you go carry on with what you want to do when they come back hungry I give them the same food that this time they've got no choice did it twice now and they eat everything given to them um, and a message here from Tess saying, Hi both. Two and a half year old daughter used to be a great and adventurous eater, but lately she's narrowed down her tea time diet to white bread and occasionally yogurt. She'll eat unlimited amounts of white bread, but previous favourites like tomato pasta, sweet potato, steamed veg get chucked on the floor. I know toddlers love their carbs, but it's getting ridiculous. The books tell you to keep offering and eventually they'll eat it, but at the moment it seems futile. Lunchtime is less of a problem. Is it just a phase? Is there anything I can do to persuade her to have something a little bit healthier for her dinner? Any advice gratefully received? I love this question. I can't wait to get stuck in. All right, okay. So I think the first thing that pops into my head is who's in charge here? Um, and, you know, it would be great if she would. You know, at the end of the day, as parents, you are in charge of what your child eats, where your child eats and how they eat. But you're not in charge of how much they eat. So first thing to this mummy is, isn't it interesting that she will eat it at lunchtime, but not at dinner? Now, children actually have a lesser appetite as they go on into the day. So I often say to families is to do a toddler's tea time around five o'clock. Mm. Five o'clock is a good toddler tea time. If you start trying to do that toddler tea time at seven. You get a bit tired. They're very tired and you're going into what I call like arsenic hours, the worst <laughs> the, hours the of the day. Hours. 
the witching hours. You're going and you're heading into dangerous ground. I would put the emphasis on the lunchtime meal if she's still at home um, and then just do more kind of picky bit up bits mm. that she can do. And if if what she likes is her is her white bread, is that maybe you make a sandwich, one side's brown and one side's white. You put it in the toaster and you use you use that bread as a vehicle for other things so she can still get those pick up snacky meals. But you've kind of made it work for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hope that helps, Tess. Principal Lisa with us today. I'm glad you're in today because just earlier on the agenda, they were talking about something that I thought we would, you would find interesting. Uh, KHDA saying that nursery attendance is up 15% in the UAE. Um, and I wondered, first of all, for your response on this, and maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the benefits of nursery before school. So does that surprise you? Nursery attendance is up? It absolutely delights me. Um, because I've been raising this with a few, uh, I was actually having a whole conversation with Blossom Nursery, for example, about this topic. I've been worried that we've shifted away from nursery care and thinking that it's great, we can just do these play dates. And play dates are great, but really past the age of two and a half, we need to be getting children into nursery. In the UK, you know, as a, as a Brit, you'll know that we get some free education for nursery past the age of two and a half. So I would like to see that 15% increase Mm -hmm. and encourage families where they can, where funds are available to give their child the chance to learn in an environment where they aren't. Give their child the chance to be part of a community and to have different experiences that you can't necessarily give at home. What are some of the benefits? I'm going to ask the teachers this after four o'clock today. Um, we've got some early years experts joining us from Horizon English and from RGS as well. But, you know, as a former nursery manager yourself and working with kids all the way through up now, um, what are some of the benefits of children going to nursery before they get into FS1 or FS2 at school? There are huge benefits. Now, in that age of the two to four age, there's actually a lot of kind of pastoral needs. There's also a lot of basic needs such as toileting, eating, and nurseries are equipped to support your child's development with that. Mm -hmm. And schools expect that to be done, okay? Because when they go to school, a school is an educational establishment, the same as a nursery, but they're not necessarily going to be able to do, you know, diaper changes if your child has gone past that that point you know and they're not going to necessarily help you with that so nurseries can really help you with getting your child into good routines with eating pottying and sleep and all of those things but they give them the chance to socialize in a safe environment with activities set up that are geared to that development stage and a very good nursery is going to be aware of what the needs are in the room and the next day meet that need. Can we talk sleep? We've had a couple of sleep questions. Yeah, let's go. I think I think for many people, Monday afternoon, got to about two or three o'clock and they go, oh gosh, tomorrow morning, got to get the kids out of bed at, you know, 5.45, 6 o'clock, those early starts for school. Brutal. Because I think Christmas, for a lot of people, routine went out of the window, whether they were travelling or they had guests in town, you know, late nights, da-da-da-da. So 
Uh, this is coming from Samira saying, before the holidays, my 15-month-old was in a routine of sleeping 11 to 12 hours, waking once every few hours, uh, to, um, sorry, every few days to come into bed for a cuddle. Admittedly, we did have a few later nights than usual over the holiday with family here, um, but just gone massively backwards with her needing a morning and an afternoon nap again. We're back at nursery this coming Monday and we're worried she's going to sleep through it. Any quick tips? So she's back having a morning nap, having dropped it. How can we how can we drop that again? Okay, so 15 months. I'm not sure we've got to drop that morning nap actually at 15 months. I still feel that she's on the cusp. So I think you're probably going to have that morning nap about 9.30. I would make it 30 minutes. I would get her up after 30 minutes and then I would be giving her her breakfast around about, sorry, her lunch around about 11.30 and then down for that lunchtime nap. Oh, that sounds lovely, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm quite it, fancy doing Could that. you imagine if yeah. you've got that? Yeah, I don't think we need to push this, this morning nap. As long as it's like, you know, 30 minutes, a little cat nap, and then her big lap, her big nap is after, is after lunch. Okay. Oh, I remember the nap anxiety with my kids. Oh, you, you kind of, you kind of are desperate for them to drop it so you can start doing things and going places. And then when they do, you're like, oh, well, you're awake all the time now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, but just think about rest. that coffee you could have. You know, you could sit and have a lovely coffee and <laughs> flick through a magazine or whatever. And then if you've got two or more kids, when they sleep at the same time, have a nap at the same time, you're like, oh, I feel like I'm on a cruise. This is incredible. Now, you are the potty training queen. So, of course, we've had some toileting questions, Principal Lisa. Uh, Verena says, hello, uh, my daughter is coming up on two and a half and she's doing great peeing in the potty, but refuses to poo in it. She'd rather hide and poo in her pants. I'm sure this is something you yeah, hear all the this time. Is, this is an everyday, everyday yeah. question for me and it's my specialist area. <laughs> it really is. Um, now, it's very common um, and what it sounds like is happening here is that she hasn't quite... Yes, she's doing really well with her PP, but how is she doing well with her PP? Is that based on you taking her? Is that based on going like every 30 minutes so you make sure you never get an, ac- an, an accident? Has she actually made the connection or is it the the adults around her are potty trained. That would be my first question. My second thing is here is, hmm, pooping in the pants means that she probably, it feels like a diaper to her. Mm. So she's used to pooping into something which is a catching device. And unfortunately, until we change that, she's going to carry on Mm. pooping in her pants. So I think we need to go back to the basics. We need to have a reset maybe with the potty training. Please get in touch we'll get this, you know, we'll get this fixed and move you on. I think it's unlikely to get better unless you make some changes because she'll just go in the corner because it's nicer there. Yeah. Verena's followed up saying she's asked to go um, and I also put her on the potty. So children need to understand that idea of I need to go rather than being placed, if that makes sense. They need to make the connection of like, yeah. I, I, not that they know what a bladder is, but my bladder feels full and now I need to... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really delighted to hear that she's asking to go because if you think about that, that's actually quite complicated. Mm. You feel the sensation, you know, in your tummy region. You process that information. You look for an adult. You find language. You apply it. And you ask for help. Brilliant. You know, the American Association of Pediatrics describes toileting as a complex set of skills that is learnt over many months so it sounds like she's doing really really well but she has an aversion to poop and we need to make some changes Freena I've just sent you Principal Lisa's details um, now no name on this one and um, we've just been talking about the holidays and sleep and a bit of changes there but 
um, regression of a, of a different kind um, here saying my two and a half year old daughter has been potty training for a few months didn't plan to start at this time as the baby boy was due imminently and I'm aware it's best to avoid potty training before any big changes like a sibling however she started uh, weeing on the potty so we went with it got to a point where she was asking to go on the potty for wees and poos with only occasional accidents son is now two weeks old and my daughter has massively regressed to the point where she's rarely using the potty extremely resistant it's become really stressful as she's having accidents out and about and in the car seat we're trying to keep things low pressure I respond to accidents we're like whoops let's clean it up next time you can try on the potty but at this point I don't know what to do the regression could be due to baby's birth or it could be the novelty of the potty has worn off any ideas sticker chart bribery I don't want to use bribery but we can't carry on like this and it makes me worried to go out Please no bribery and please no stickers because they last, the interest lasts about five minutes and then they've moved on. Okay, all right. So look, having a baby um, is a massive, massive life change for a toddler and all sorts of issues kick in. I'm not surprised that things are going going wrong. Okay, she's she'll be all over this all over the place. She's all at sixes and sevens. Mm. If you want to really stick with the potty training, why don't you do something like I work with a company called Vice Keepers and you can ring up for a nanny. They're really good and they'll come out and spend the day with you. It's it's simple, it's easy. Now, what if we got a nanny in there for a few days and the nanny maybe just helped take the newborn off your hands for a little bit and so then you could actually revisit some of those basic skills with potty training that you you know that you, you've been doing so far so go back to basics she's all it, it, you know routine's gone I think we need to lower our expectations and she needs more help and support so maybe get an extra pair of hands in there Thank you, Lisa. And if you want Principal Lisa's details, you can just send me the word Lisa, L-I-S-A, um, and I'd be happy to send you her Instagram. Um, I wanted to talk about getting back into routine briefly because I've had an awful lot of very sleepy parents at the school gate and an awful lot of kids who look like they really don't want to be there. You know, <laughs> hair everywhere, sleep in the eyes, look like they'd rather be asleep until 9am. Um We've got the weekend coming up. Um, anything that can be useful to make sure that kids are getting up when they need to ahead of a very early school day as we have in Dubai? Okay. One of the things that sometimes goes wrong on the night before school, parents go, right, let's get you to bed early because you've got school tomorrow. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's half past five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, hey, this is a great opportunity to get them to bed early. Try to avoid that because actually what they do is they go to bed a bit earlier. They're not quite tired and then they lay there getting anxious. Yeah, they're not being, a, not being able to sleep. So stick to your, you know, stick to the time. But I would start now. I would really go backwards and going back into those rituals and those routines that you were using before and start putting them into place. Mm -hmm. So things like, um, you know, if what worked for you before was that bath rather than a shower, go back to the bath, you know, start to wind things down, close the curtains, Put on your sparkling, twinkly lights or whatever you've got. Stories. Set that tone, set that tone. Start talking in a slower, quieter voice and use this phrase. We always do this, don't we, before we go to bed. We always like the, you know, turn the, the sprinkly lights on. Set routines and rituals. Talk about the fact that you've got them so they feel really safe and secure. Try to reset that circadian rhythm a little bit. Bring tea time earlier eat for half past five, six o'clock, you know, not eating late again mm -hmm. and just help them get back in. But the night before school, don't send them to bed early, send them at their usual time. 
Hope that helps, guys. Lisa? For people that want to get in touch with you, you are, of course, on Instagram and I would say not just getting in touch, but a great resource for all sorts of different aspects of parenting uh, and problems here in the UAE. It is principal underscore Lisa. Wishing you a lovely 2024. We'll see you very soon, though, I hope. Oh, see you soon, Thank darling. Thank you so, so much. Principal Lisa, Lisa Sherrington Boyd, who helps families potty train. We've got all sorts of tantrum issues, which I'm sure will be another topic for another day, but practical parenting for little ones. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. They are called the Foundation Years for a reason, and we're speaking to two experts in the field this hour. Joining us now, Assistant Head Teacher at Horizon English School, Stephanie Nazarian. Happy New Year, Miss Nazarian. How are you? Happy New Year. I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Helen? Yeah, really well. I find this um, area of education actually really interesting for so many reasons because it's often discounted it's as being oh you know we're spending a fortune for our kids to go and do some finger painting and it's so far from the truth which is what we're going to be exploring this hour and I wanted to ask you if you don't mind um, why you wanted to work with early years in particular and what you enjoy about that age group first of all. I think for me um, selfishly it's that it's the joy it's it's sparking that that love of learning and the excitement that um we can get in the early years i think as well um the progress that you see with the children um in such a short space of time mm-hmm. um it's incredibly rewarding um and it's it's a lot of fun <laughs> there's lots of play Good. there's lots of play in early years and yeah it is it's just it's lots of fun um to be part of that seeing those little brains start firing and putting sounds exactly. together exactly when you and... see them start to make those connections and things just click and they get it um it's incredibly rewarding we were just talking on the agenda this morning and just then with principal lisa kh day reporting that nursery attendance is up 15% in the uae and i was curious um if you as teachers notice a difference between kids coming into the classroom that have been at nursery before, um, have you, you know, is there anything that you think is particularly beneficial or anything we need to know as parents about that stage before coming into the classroom in FS1 or even FS2? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we do notice that difference. And the, the, the difference is for the children who have come from nursery and um, moving into school, it's not their, their first experience. So I think um, parents also have that understanding of the importance of the early years and the importance of everyday matters mm-hmm. um, for them being in school. So I, I think that that's the difference with them them being. And also when the, the children have that previous nursery experience, um, they're used to, they're more confident. Mm-hmm. They're used to being in those sort of bigger settings where they're interacting with their peers. Um, so they do have a, perhaps a slightly more confident start. Yeah, it's interesting. Fewer, fewer tearful goodbyes, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about uh, this hour as well. Um, I wanted to ask if you don't mind, if to, you just share a little bit around your philosophy on early years education and the impact it has on actually a child's overall development, you know, perhaps even ways that we might not realise as teenagers that, that they might be building on those foundation years, Ms. Nazarian. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a huge advocate for the power of play-based learning. Um, play improves children's cognitive, their social, their emotional um, well-being. And I think through play, children are are learning about the world around them. They're making new connections. Things start to make sense. Um, They're developing their their independence. Um, And I also think in the early years, it's so crucial 
that we we spark that love of learning. It is called foundation stage because we are literally setting the foundations for the rest of their educational journey. Mm -hmm. And it's so important that we get it right at this stage. Um, I think I'm a firm believer that that holistic approach to education encompassing both that academic and um, emotional growth is essential for the children to thrive. Um, because when the children feel confident, when they feel secure, when they feel valued, that is when they're willing to try new things to go mm -hmm. outside of their comfort zone. Um, and it's it's when they're in that zone that we see that outstanding progress. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it's just it's so important that we get it right at this stage. I think that's so true. You know, children that are happy and secure learn better yeah <laughs> you know, exactly. exactly we're not talking about you know hard academics when they're three four into five as you say it's that fostering that love of learning the social side you know really key in terms of learning from each other but coming back to that play piece are there any kind of examples I guess when you're thinking about things they do in the classroom um, or even things we can do at home as parents I know an awful lot of parents feel a bit silly sometimes playing with kids and a bit self-conscious because yeah. we forget how to do it but would you yeah. mind just kind of giving us some ideas about things we can do and, and why they can make an impact on our kids? Of course I, I think like you say sometimes adults can feel a little bit sillier I think what's really important is just to take a step back, just to observe children in their play and then join them, but allow them to lead. Um, just be really, really attuned, listening to what it is they're, they're interested in mm -hmm. and responding to that. Um, not feeling like you've got to ask lots and lots of questions, even just echoing back what it is the, the children have said in their play, extending that by maybe adding in some new vocabulary, simple things like that. Even the types of questions that um, parents can ask when they're joining children in their play um, is really important. Mm -hmm. Questions such as, uh, I wonder... I wonder questions are great. I wonder what would happen if. I wonder if we could try this a different way. What It's a lot less intimidating than what would, mm -hmm. how can. Mm -hmm. um, so really simple things like that. Um, but I think just allowing the children to lead their play and you joining in with that. Which is great for their confidence as well. Your little ones love their Absolutely. idea of teaching us something, introducing concepts. They, they love that. And you, I, I always think, thinking back to if I was little, if a, a grown-up was to listen to me and think, do you know what, that is a fantastic idea. Let's do that. The impact that that would have on my confidence um, so absolutely as you said when when the children feel valued um, and that's going to have a huge a huge impact on on their academics as well um, the confidence is key I think. I think whether your kids have been to nursery or not there is nothing worse that can set the tone for your day when you get that I don't want to go to school and that you're peeling them off your shins and you know probably in your heart of hearts that within you know five, ten minutes, they are going to be happy little bunnies in the classroom. But I've done this, sat in the car and thought, I'm a horrible parent for leaving my child in tears at school. So I wanted to ask you, Mrs. Nazarian, um, for some advice um, around school refusal in those early years. How common is it? And, and do we know, I don't know, I don't know why, why can it come up? And are there any certain times, ages, stages where it can get worse? 
I think it's particularly after the children have been on that break. So, for example, we've just had three weeks off. Um, lots of children will be looking forward to coming back to school, seeing their friends. They enjoy that routine, that predictability. But there will be some children who feel a little bit more anxious about it. Um, and I think what's important is acknowledging their feelings. Um, that giving them that validation that makes them feel appreciated and understood and, and listened to. Mm. Um, for example, I can see you're feeling upset or I can see you're feeling a little bit worried and that's okay. Um, I think as well, we control, so parents control so much of a, a child's day. Um, we, we're telling them when to go to school, when not to go to school. Um, and I think just the night before trying to give back some of that control to them, whether it be helping to prepare their, their snack or their lunch or picking out which water bottle they're going to take the next day, giving them that little bit of choice and control. Mm. Um, and I think when it does come, if it comes to drop off and there are the tears, um, it's trying to avoid the long goodbyes. <laughs> Yes. I think the, the, the longer the parents hang around to say goodbye, the harder it can be for um, both the child and the parent. Mm -hmm. um, and like you say, um, usually those tears last for a minute or two. Mm -hmm. um, and once they're in the class, once they're settled, once they're with their friends again, um, it's, it's all good. I've seen some fantastic examples on online and in, in real life of schools really going above and beyond to help families with this, you know, from, you know, a, a teacher being there to enthusiastically welcome a parent and a, and a kid at the school gate to having certain strategies at the door as well. Are there any kind of tried and tested techniques that you've seen in your time? Well, we do a lot, particularly at the beginning of the year when it when it's all new. Um, and I think what we really try to build on is that homeschool link. Um, and so, for example, at the very beginning of the year, um, we would have our hopes and dreams meetings, those one to one meetings with parents and teachers. Um, so we find out everything about the child. Um, if they've got that previous nursery experience, if they don't, if this is all new, if they're likely to need um, a tailored transition, um, if they're going to need some shorter days. But even things like getting down to their level or having um, some of their pictures up on the wall before they start, having a picture of them with mum and dad in the classroom. Um, we, we call them our marvellous me boxes, boxes that the, the children have at the beginning of the year. They make them over the summer holidays. They'll have pictures of their family um, and some little things that are important to them. Mm -hmm. And when the children are feeling a little bit unsure, they like to go back to their marvellous me, have a look at some of their pictures, maybe sh share it with a friend. Those are some little strategies that have worked really well um, in supporting the children who find it a little bit more difficult. I love that. I think it's also a lot on our, on our shoulders as well as parents about how we talk about school, you know, making it out to be like, you know, this exciting, positive place and if which can be hard if we didn't necessarily enjoy school ourselves, but for it to be, you know, to set it up well, does that help? Exactly. Children pick up. If, if parents are feeling a little bit stressed or anxious or things, the children absolutely pick up on that. Mm -hmm. um, I think... Communication is key um, and just 
talking about school and the return to school in a positive way, talking about what it is perhaps that they're most looking forward to when they go back. Mm. Um, things like that can really help to support the children. Um, we've had a question here from Rajiv and I'm going to split it into two parts and, and put the first part to you, uh, Mrs. Zarian, if you don't mind, saying as working parents, how can we connect more with teachers rather than just uh, the PTM? So uh, that's a really good question um, in terms of communication um, and collaboration, I guess, with teachers. We've only got a minute left, uh, Stephanie, but what would your quick bits of advice be for making sure we're all working as a team? Yeah, absolutely. Communication is key. And I think I would say that there's no question too big or too small. Um, if you're not able to see teachers at part of that drop off, it's just dropping them an email um, or asking if they can give you a quick call. You should never have to wait until those parent teacher meetings and um, don't let anything build up. Um, because I think or even if it's little things like um, that's going to impact the child's day, they've not had a good sleep the night before or whatever it might be, it's keeping that communication open and just dropping the teacher um, and, and email. Lots of schools will use those online platforms as well to share learning. Um, and I think that's that's a really good way of getting involved and finding out more about what your child is learning and how you can support. Thank you so much for your time, especially at the end of a long school day. I know you guys are there. It's <laughs> stupid o'clock in the morning. Uh, Stephanie Zarian, assistant head teacher at Horizon English School, having lovely chat and thank you so so much wishing you a very happy and healthy 2024 um, we are keeping the conversation going about early years many questions coming in on the text line we're going to be talking about fostering a sense of independence in our little ones what can happen in the classroom and what can happen at home this is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer with Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai we are talking about those back-to-school feels. I was going to say blues, because I think a lot of parents are delighted to be heading back to school. A lot of kids are super excited, but having spoken to a number of families, there have been, after such an intense amount of time together, a bit of reluctance from some little ones to say goodbye at the school gate. So we're helping you with that. We're also talking about fostering a sense of independence in those early years. What can kids be doing in the classroom and crucially at home? Charlotte Greaves is with us today, the head of prep at Royal Guildford School here in Dubai. Happy New Year, Charlotte. How are you? Happy New Year. I'm very well, thank you. I am really excited to be back at school oh, I love the routine yeah, I love I it and seeing the children it's so amazing that's what we want from educators we want you to be excited to be there and I'm not gonna lie as a parent I felt like 2nd of January was a bit of a hard start could have done with a, a couple more days but they're back and as I was just saying to Stefan Nazarian there from um, Horizon English School it can be really devastating as a parent to have some of those tough moments in the morning or even the night before when you know a a child's like, mommy, daddy, I don't want to go to school. Or, Please don't make me go to school today. Or I've got this subject and I hate it. And there's a role that we can play, you know, as we said, in terms of being positive about it. There's some practical things. And I wondered if you could expand on that for a shot. You know, how can parents communicate with our kids to boost this idea of it's great to be back after the holidays? Yes. I mean, I think for me, the most important thing is um, preparation, as you said, um, but not waiting till the night before and really, you know, building up and but building up in an exciting way. So what are they enjoying? You know, are they enjoying seeing their best friend? Um, what are they going to tell them about the holiday that they had? All of those things. And it's really, really turning that around. It's really giving time for the children to talk about their worries and concerns mm -hmm. and not being, you know, have empathy with that, you know, um, maybe related to a time when you were at school. I think quite often as parents, we want to be these people that they look up to 
but also you know we may have gone through that in our time and it's normal it's mm. absolutely normal and I think it's important that we're building that strength and resilience in in a way that's not overly positive and try and say oh it'll be fine yeah. you're going to be really happy you, you've really got to address it and address it full on and make sure that you just don't do it the night before mm-hmm. and and really you know have those positive conversations what about the practical side especially from a school's perspective you know measures support systems techniques dare i say tricks um to help children who might be struggling with a bit of separation anxiety um as you know is come back into the classroom and do you know what i actually find sometimes those first few days are fine because they are excited to see their friends they're excited to get back into the classroom and talk about it it can often be maybe the week after where they realize oh actually it's going to be like this a few more weeks or months now depending on the length of term i think the most important thing is relationships. Our teachers have such wonderful relationships with our children. They know the children really well. So we will already know before children come back, who are those children that have those wobbles? What things we need to do in place for those children, whether that's in the classroom with that teacher, whether it's it's external with, you know, we've got a school counsellor and, you know, our dog Luna is at the door with me on the duty on that first day for, with some of those children that we know the first person first person I call her she's a dog (laughs) but the first thing they want to see is Luna because it just makes them feel settled Mm -hmm. so for us as a school and many schools out there it's relationships are key and it's even before that so even if a parent there's something's happened over the, the winter holiday they were maybe um, traveled late and they, they came in late it's really us knowing that because then we're informed mm-hmm. when we're informed we can really support those families um, w- my favorite part of the day is being on duty and all of us are out on duty greeting the children and our teachers are at the door on duty you know when the children come up those stairs and the children see those chil- uh, teachers at the door it's just fantastic and they don't they do high five or they might want a hug but it's just about us knowing the children and knowing how we set that tone for them. I think that's so true. I think we often forget that we are on the same team as parents and teachers and it's about, yeah, collaborating for want of a better phrase. Which brings me to, um, now, our nanny was on holiday over the holidays and um, it was a challenge, um, not going to lie, with my parents here, four four adults, two kids and two dogs. um, And it made me realise that actually my kids are a lot more capable than I give them credit for and they can be doing an awful lot more than they have been. Um, And I wondered about this idea of fostering independence in these early years. And we touched on it earlier in terms of, you know, getting our kids involved in packing their bags and getting their snack ready and choosing their water bottle to get them in the headspace for school, you know, making it feel a bit more, a bit more real. What are other some age appropriate tasks that you think, Charlotte, you know, children can be doing in the morning to get, you know, feel a bit more independent, um, empower them a little bit. And of course, maybe lighten the load on on us adults as well. It starts the day before. So it's making sure that the little ones have their toothbrush out and they're ready, that they know what snack if you, you're you packing the snack, that they're involved in packing the snack. So that it's not a surprise when they get to school and they've got a banana instead of an apple. You know, that could be the difference for their day. So it's really preparing the day before. Um, organization is is, a, is a, one of our learning skills and it's such an important part of, of what we're doing at school um, but it's also le- allowing them to make mistakes so if they have packed their bag themselves and they have forgotten their um, uh, pencil case 
Um, it's just about, well, that's okay, but you're not going to do that again. So it's just really about preparation mm -hmm. and really making sure that you're allowing them to do that. The older students, making sure they've got their timetable, reading it through with them, um, you know, and how they're going to plan their day. Are they going to be on time? And really making sure when you get in that car, and I know traffic's bad out there, but really making sure you're on time with the children. And the same at the end of the day, you're there to pick them up on time because that's really worrying for some children. So it's just really making sure that it's all very much organized mm -hmm. and, um, and allowing them to have that space to do it themselves. Well said. What is it about the early years as, as head of prep that you really enjoy, Charlotte, when, whether it's your philosophy on education or just you mentioned there about, you know, seeing their faces on the on the academic side in the classroom? What do you find most rewarding? Oh, I mean, one of the most wonderful things that we do here at the RGS is we have hooks to learning and just seeing year four did a chocolate day. So they were <laughs> on the first day back, I mean, I know after Christmas, all of that chocolate, and then we, we throw that in the mix. But it was really, they didn't know anything about it. They didn't know that they were actually learning. So it didn't feel like they were back to school in that way. So just seeing them really ignited by learning with those special events. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really important that we're making learning fun um, for those first few days. So yes, we were full of chocolate on Tuesday as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sick to the gills of chocolate and cheese and that's something I never <laughs> thought I would ever say. Um, last question about separation anxiety. Are there any books you think that could be useful for parents, any children's books that are, you know, are good resources um, just for kind of boosting our own knowledge, whether it's you know the whole brain child or whatever you think might might be useful Charlotte that you found useful as an academic I, I think for me it's not about separation anxiety around school try and move that away and give give children the chance to go on play dates with friends um, making sure that if you have got family in the UAE that they can go and have sleepovers when they're ready and things like that not making the anxiety and the separation about going to school um, separation anxiety can be about coming back from you know a holiday or anything mm -hmm. like that so I think that's really really important important um, that you're, you know, and, and also just saying, I'll, I'll be back. I'm going to be back and this is the time and be back there on time. And mm. I think, yes, then that anxiety is relieved. Consistency and positivity. Thank you so, so much. Charlotte Greaves speaking to us from RGS as the head of prep. Wishing you and the team there a lovely, happy, healthy uh, 2024, full of learning, enjoyment. And um, I'm sure we'll talk very soon indeed. Thanks, so, Helen. Some great advice there. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m.